0: Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy, producer extraordinaire and cyclist, Cameron McCoy. What is up, my man?
1: Not a lot, man. Uh, it's just been a, a very pleasant week. Just the weather has been great here in the Midwest, um, which we'll pay for dearly come July.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's not even think about August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's essentially going to turn into a Mad Max movie at that point. But, um, no, dude, I'm jealous. Like, uh, you have gotten to, like, bike everywhere. Mm. Like, not motorcycle. Like, bike. And I have been running my child around to different sports tryouts. (laughs) And that's been my entire, like, last week. Like, I don't think I was actually – I think I was home to grill one time. All right. But, Cameron, it's grill season. It is here. It's time. Dude, how do you feel about corn – on the grill oh sign me up i'm all about that yeah Yeah. i think that is super underrated yeah i think corn on the grill is really 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 underrated you got to get on that if you haven't absolutely let's be honest charcoal or wood we're not having a discussion about gas gas is for people that want to use the regular oven outside it's not the same (laughs) doesn't have the same flavor it's fine right um but dude i get dirty i get those coals in there i have a (laughs) chimney starter i go you know um anyway cameron lots to talk about in terms of grilling but even more to talk about with regards to magic the gathering this is going to be a we've been playing pretty centric show because not a lot of news Mm -hmm. there is a professional level event going on right now but until those professional level events go back to uh, in person i kind of find them unwatchable um when I'm watching a dude, it looks like they're on a Zoom call playing Magic. Um, but dude, what have you been playing? What have you been up to? Uh,
1: I've been uh, living in this dream world right now where the non-rotating format that I really, really like playing um, in paper is also kind of available now online. And Whoa. it's incredible. Mind blown. Um, playing Blue Light Control, both in... Uh, been hitting it pretty hard in um, on, online, but then also was able to play a little bit um, over the week. And, dude, um, this deck is like 90% the same. Like, I mean, if you wanted to play the Explorer deck in Pioneer, y- you can do that. Like, I mean, you're, you're missing out on you know, Verdict's like, I have a detention sphere that I usually run in the main just because, like, it's kind of a good catch all for lots of different things. Um, mm-hmm. And it's incredible. Uh, like, it, 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 it's, I think, one of the best decks you can be playing um, in both formats right now. Um, and there's just a lot of room for innovation. I mean, I think there are certain things that if you're not playing, you, we're not having a conversation. You're not playing the right blue-eye control list, specifically um, the Wandering Emperor. You know, to fairy. I mean, like all the greatest hits of like planeswalkers and whatnot. But there's like so many different ways to kind of approach um, the deck. If you want to go like the Yorian route, which I've actually completely stepped away from Yorian. Like I, I'm just kind of done with it. Um, But I mean, if you wanted to play that, you know, you have Omen the Sea, and you can do that sort of thing. I started running a Sphinx's Revelation, uh, which is actually very playable in. Um, I think both formats, and uh, dude, like, especially in the Pioneer format right now, and in my shop's meta, I don't know how many times the Syncs as Rev gaining some life actually helped me, because uh, Mono Red is incredibly... It's
0: really good. Incredibly it's really good, in good
1: in Pioneer. Um, it's, you know, I mean, I've seen it every once in a while in in the Explorer, but like, I mean you're missing, like, the real key ingredients to, like, what makes that deck go, right? So, but anyway, like, uh, Sphinx's Rev and the Wandering Emperor being able to just exile and gain two life, those things have saved me so many times in Pioneer. It's not even funny. Like, I I think that there's definitely room for, like, having one of, maybe two of, of a Sphinx's Rev, and then I'm still kind of trying to figure out, like, what else I want to use for, like, my card draw mechanics. Um, you know, I have, like, a Shark Typhoon, which is fine, but, like, the the, the real value town cards, right? Something like a Memory Memory Deluge is good, but I think there's other things out there that might be a little bit better. So I th- just lots of, like, debate and tweaking going on um, with this blue-white control list, talking with, you know, guys at the shop, just trying to, like, optimize what does this 60 look like? What does the sideboard look like for my meta? Um, it's uh, been so incredibly fun. And then they just go back onto the computer and I have essentially that deck and I can just put the reps in with it. Um, dude, there's just nothing better. Nothing better. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I agree. I've actually played a lot less Explorer uh, than you this week. I've really focused on Standard, mm-hmm. but I do want to talk about your comments and your experiences so uh i've played against the mono red deck a lot online Hmm. like a lot and uh of course i can't remember the name of the card off the top of my head but the saga that deals you one and then it makes their next creature come in with a plus one plus one counter kumano that has real yeah that that card has really elevated the damage output of this deck to something that can be really, really, really obscene by like turn four, mm-hmm. right? Um, I believe if you don't remove anything and they have Thorn on turn four, you're dead, right? I mean, it could get like that. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a, an extremely good deck, and to your point, there's still some pieces that are missing, <laughs> which makes it a little scarier, but uh, the blue-white decks are interesting in that I feel like the things that you have to address to control are so different than they were when Winota was a thing, because that version you could kind of afford to play a little bit of the omen of the sea game. Uh, I don't think you have that kind of time anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, where you have these hands that are basically do nothing until turn three. I just think that's way too much of a missing opportunity. And because you're missing Supreme verdict, you've really lost your, uh, kind of leveler effect. Uh, against <coughs> some of these tempo decks that have counter spells and ways to like interact with you on that level. so um, I think Explorer still has a ton of problems. Mm. there are moments where the play patterns aren't particularly great and I'm probably probably sh- true of uh, Pioneer as well I just don't play Pioneer like you play Pioneer um, but it is it has gotten me so engaged. With arena where I wasn't before because I have this outlet of like, okay, I'm gonna try out these decks and figure out what's the pioneer deck of choice, mm-hmm. right? Like, do, am I gonna learn to play fires or whatever? Um, I also, I would say I took a symbolic step today, Cameron, and I um, erased all my historic decks. Nice out of my out uh, <laughs> out of my uh, out of my little profile because you you can only have what is it fifty or a hundred decks or something? No, I think yeah. And uh, I like to keep it down to, like, five if possible. So I had a lot of historic decks that I had, like, worked on. Like, you know, historic versions of Maverick or Mm -hmm. uh, Elves. And I was just like, you know what? I think I'm done with this format. So uh, see you, buddy. I can't have you filling up my deck spaces anymore. Slow clap, Um, man. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, is there a chance that you'll ever click on a historic queue ever again? Absolutely 100% no. Like, I I mean...
1: Unless they call Historic legacy and its legacy, then maybe. But, like, I mean, it has to be – it needs to be a paper format, period.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I'm glad that we've made this change, and I'm, I hope these, quote, digital-only players that enjoy Historic – I've met zero of these people and heard from zero of them online, i have seen zero articles written by these people – but Watsy keeps suggesting that they exist, mm-hmm. and uh Wotzy's always very forthright. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so long, Historic. Uh, you, we had some good times. We did. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, you were a much-needed um, breath
1: of fresh air, you know, two years ago during the start of the pandemic, and then you lost me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like, listener, you should just pause the podcast— Put on boys to men it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday <laughs> and just like feel this moment right yep. um but historic like yep it's it's time is done and so i uh in explorer i've mostly been playing an agent of treachery deck and because i'm a terrible person cameron there's really no way around that um I don't know that it's straight up the best deck. I really do think the black red mid range deck is if the deck I would play, if I were going to a tournament, I do think it checks a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. It has a game against everything. It's kind of the stereotypical 50, 55% against the field kind of thing. Um, yeah. You can get worked, but the decks that would tend to be really good against, I mean, cause it is jund. like the black red deck mm-hmm. is effectively jund. Um but the decks that would typically be good against a Jun variant are just okay against it. And Thoughtseize is so high on the power curve for this format that you really should be playing Thoughtseize if you're playing competitively. Uh, I decided, hey, um, a lot of people are saying Blue Red Phoenix is a lot better now that Winota's gone. And I uh, put it together. There's also Ledger Shredder, which is like a new uh two mana bird and I had a couple of those. Yeah. I didn't play the full set. So I can't really report on the success of that. But the rest of the deck I thought stunk on ice. I thought this deck is still not there. Um I probably won one third yeah. of the games I played. I'm gonna tell you right now and like
1: it's not because I'm a good player. I have like a one hundred percent win ratio against Blue Red Phoenix when I'm playing Blue Eye Control because everything exiles
0: everything. Yeah. You know Yeah. And by the way, black now has their uh, uh, their um, X spell from Kamigawa, also is an instant speed removal spell where they gain life. Meat Hook Massacre, while not exiling the things, really makes a big is mm-hmm. a huge problem for Phoenix because they can essentially wipe your board and gain a bunch of life, and it kind of like your Phoenixes end up dying a lot when you're playing against black, and so their life total keeps going up, your total <laughs> keeps going down. It's like, uh, and you ask yourself a lot of questions. I, I mean, hey, I'm glad that there are people out there winning with this, but I found the blue, any kind of black X deck matchup to be a nightmare, the blue-white matchup to be a nightmare, and also the mono-red deck mm. matchup to be a nightmare. So, like, I guess it's okay if I'm against a mono-white deck and they don't have rest in peace, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has really been underwhelming. Um, whereas the Agent of Treachery deck tends to be really bad against Control um, and against the other decks is, is pretty all right. Like, the Black-Red deck is definitely better and definitely wins the majority of the matches, but you do have these times where they don't have interaction, they don't have the fatal push on your token or something, and you're able to, you know, Transmogrify or Luca or uh, Indomitable Creativity, whatever, mm-hmm your tokens, and like with Black Red, a lot of times you just take their lands, and that really ends up being much stronger play than any of their permanents, because their permanents tend to be kind of whatever. Whereas when you're against blue-white, yeah, you can take their lands, but if they've hit their land drop every turn, it's kind of a whatever to them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I will probably finish going back to control. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Shaheen Sarani posted a list on SEG, that's a that's a website Star City Games camera. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they used to they used to have competitive Magic stuff, and um, he posted an Esper Yorian list. Basically, uh, Oath of Kaya, yeah, uh, is being a really foundational part of that. And I looking at the metagame, Oath of Kaya seems like it would be quite good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'm interested to get back into the control end. I was just trying to diversify a little bit. And I do I do think the Agenda Treachery deck is third, fourth best kind of yeah. deck. I mean, not amazing, but definitely pretty good. Uh, can beat a lot of the random decks. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is Standard. Have you touched Standard at all, Cameron?
1: <laughs> no, I've been awful. Like, I mean, they really shouldn't have announced this new format. Otherwise, I'd probably be knee-deep in it.
0: Don't prove their point, Cameron. They'll take Explorer away. (laughs) Or they'll be like, hey, you know what? We decided that Explore could really use Hogak to spice (laughs) it up or something. It only costs two Mythic Wild Cards, and we might ban it later, but it'll be super good. Mm -hmm. Um, (coughs) This standard is pretty okay. Uh, I do think there's a lot of room for renovation, and there's a lot of room for cool things to do. However, here's my big criticism. So I've been on the Esper deck. And by most people's reckoning, the Esper deck is the best deck. It's a mid-range deck. I mentioned this last week. It plays a lot more like Jund than it does like how you would think of Esper. It's confusing because there is also a Jund deck that is pretty good. Uh, but the the Jund deck that it is in standard is much more of a, an Asika's Chariot-style deck. Um, it doesn't always run Renin Seven, but it can. Um... But there's also mono white is pretty good. There's black white um, angels that is pretty good or black white control. So there's good decks. Here's the problem: is the way that they've constructed some of these cards, especially some of these sagas, it feels really difficult to ever come from behind.
1: Hmm.
0: All these decks, it's not snowball in the way that like the old Omnath decks or the old Fires of Invention, Invention decks do, where you're just like you're just dead on turn four and that's mm-hmm. it. Because, But because of this, like, the constant use of treasures, uh, specifically on, like, the Jund deck, like, it just becomes, oh, wait, I don't have a removal spell. Now they've gained two extra treasure tokens and can essentially play out their hand, and I'm so far behind. Mm-hmm. So there are these moments where you get really behind, and all the decks have the capability to do this. So it's weird because it kind of creates this strange balance of, like, between deck choices, right? Like, all the decks can do this to some extent, but when you're in the game, sometimes you just get really far behind. And I, uh, like, I'm using treasure tokens here, but the Esper deck does this with card drawing, hmm. right? Like, you can play a, you can blitz a Tenacious Underdog, uh, plus your uh, your Suzuki um, uh, uh, Planeswalker, and I just drew two cards, and I hit you for three, right? And you might have just put in your third land drop is tapped right and then it's just like those moments happen a lot um mono white is the only one that really feels like okay they've assembled their beater and i'm dead (laughs) or not um but there there are there are some cool innovations i I know on daily mtg they posted a bunch of like these are the most innovative uh decks of of the standard professional event right now uh but I, i would say kind of buyer beware like make sure you enjoy the play patterns because it can be very like that. Um, I have, and I mentioned this last week, I was really tired of Meat Hook Massacre and these matchups, like Nye Enchantments, where I just don't do anything. And I mentioned playing Farewell. I should clarify. I meant Farewell in the side, okay. not main deck. Um, but I have been able to de-pants a couple people with um, Farewell when they have like basically vomited their whole hand. <laughs> because they think I'm only on Meat Hook Massacre. Uh, they don't really care, and then I just like exile everything, but except my one copy of Wandering Emperor. It's real nice. Um, the last thing I would mention is, I'm kind of glad Faceless Haven isn't in this format. Oh, man. Uh, because it does allow for the mana bases to be super non-basic, but then that makes Field of Ruin very good. And it, it makes you really care about which man lands you're playing in these three-color decks and all that stuff. Um, you really have to be choosy, where I feel like with Faceless Haven, there would be a little too much incentive to be one or two colors and just be a Faceless Haven deck. So um, anyway, it's a cool standard. Uh, any thoughts you have, Cameron, as we move on? No, I mean, it's just uh, it feels like a good time to
1: be a magic player again. And
0: uh, I'm, I'm appreciative so I do have to ask you, are you, is your store doing the store championship where you can win a dark confidant? I need to check. I forgot to ask. I don't know. I don't know. Cameron, mark my words. If my shop isn't doing it, I'm going up to Iowa to play in the store championship. (laughs) I am so desperate for a tournament with stakes. And I keep meaning to like practice. I, I, I have, I've had zero chance to like actually even get out my paper cards and see what I have. I'm pretty sure I have Phoenix and I'm pretty sure I will not play that deck. Um, But, like, yeah, I would really like to play in a store championship that is not modern. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Anyway, Cameron, we're going to get out of this segment. That's kind of all of our magic discussion this week. We're going to come back and talk about what else we've been up to. All right, Cameron, uh, it looks like you have entered a world of assassination. How's that working out for you?
1: Uh, It's been great. Uh, So finally, finally getting to Hitman 3, um, which, I mean, I don't know if there's really anything new to say. Did you play Hitman 1? Did you play Hitman 2? Cool, you're going to love Hitman 3. Um, So Hitman 3, I think, has my second favorite level of all time. Um, The Miami one in Hitman 2 is like the race car one it's like there's i don't think there's anything better than that like it's just the best way i mean the, the ways you go about like murdering people is just hilarious uh hitman 3 has uh this dubai level which you're up like on a skyscraper and it's nothing but clouds below and the ways you, you can just like assassinate people with <laughs> like I, I it's just it's so fun so hilarious and like the chain of events that you can go about doing it's like the perfect sandbox game like i can just revisit and replay the levels and try to figure out like all the little secrets of like how the game designers want you to play it how you can play it mm-hmm. it's it's just fantastic so um absolutely if you've played hitman 1 hitman 2 there's no, I mean, they didn't reinvent the formula at all. It is very, very, very similar. But um, like I said, some really well designed levels. Like you can tell, like they figured all the things out from previous the the, the previous two games and just put some of the best, most comedic uh, level design things
0: together. Yeah, and this is the one where it can actually, like, load up the levels from the previous games, right? Like, you can download them all together, and it becomes kind of one cohesive thing. So um, I started Hitman 3, and then I didn't have Game Pass anymore. Mm. I keep meaning to go back to it. It's on sale all the time. All the time. And and I just have to get back to it. Um, but no, like, th- those are some of the funniest games. Like, again, the outward appearance is very serious and dour. <laughs> And it doesn't really give you the impression that it's basically a Looney Tunes cartoon, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. And I mean, you dress up as a giant pink flamingo,
1: and then you can, like, just kick somebody into, you know, the pit and, like, cause an entire accident. I mean, it's just like, there's nothing better okay. than that, right?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or whenever you have to pose as a drummer trying out for a rock band. <laughs> like, it's, it's just so the best, absurd. Dude. It's great, yeah. Um. So, what do you know about these game and watches? I'm familiar with them. You got one, huh? So, yeah. Uh, essentially, I won like a Target gift card. Okay, and I'm super backed up on games. I just picked up the Final Fantasy VII remake. Uh, again, I the by the way, public service announcement: If you buy it on PS4, the upgrade to PS5 is free. But the hoops you have to jump through to even find the button (laughs) to get that to download is really something. Anyway, so I'm like on that, and I'm playing uh, uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. So I'm playing both of those. It's like, well, I don't really need a new game. However, one of the biggest conundrums you can run into with your game room, Cameron, is what am I going to use as my clock in this room? Because if you just have a good old-fashioned wall clock, digital clock... Doesn't really say anything, yeah, right? Yeah. Um. So I picked this up, and they just had one copy of it, and it is a, um, it's about the size of a f- big cell phone. Okay, <clears throat> and the Zelda Game and Watch essentially has Legend of Zelda One, Legend of Zelda Two, the first Game Boy One, whose which name I can't remember, and then uh, like a little like uh, mini game thing that was on an old Game and Watch. Okay. And there is also a what or a clock mode, right? And where the clock essentially runs, and Zelda runs around and fights bad guys and goes to different rooms in the dungeon, and the different rooms of the dungeon have different times on them, right? So it's just this little automated, fun little clock that could be in your game room, and that's essentially the function it's serving for me. Um, however, the idea that anybody is actually playing The Legend of Zelda on this thing is really astonishing to me. I'm just putting this out here, Cameron. This screen is way too small. <laughs> they are trying to, like, get it to tie to what the old game and watches were like. So the ergonomics are a nightmare. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. And on one hand, it's it's a cool collector's piece slash fun thing to put in your game room. But if you're just looking as a functional game device, I think it falls very far short. I I would assume the Mario one's better because you don't ever have to read anything Mm. when you're playing Mario. Um, But like this is, it's like just a cool little bonus that Zelda is hanging out on this device. Um, It is weird. Also, it kind of occurred to me as I was setting this up. So first of all, the stand on your shelf is the actual interior of the box. So the device itself doesn't have a kickstand on the back, which is a little not great. Mm -hmm. It's like a cardboard stand, uh, and it comes with a USB-C uh, cable that is, like, three inches. So if you're looking to plug this into a wall, you're really going to have to, like, have a longer USB-C somewhere. Um, but, it, dude, it's really cool. It's just yeah. a clock in your room. <laughs> it's Just, like, a really cool <laughs> clock. Um, but it did occur to me, I think this is the only way to physically own Zelda right now. Like, mm-hmm. Nintendo has locked all their old stuff onto their service. And so if you're like, "You know what? I want a copy of Zelda that I could play forever." this is literally your only outlet, because one day the switch is going to die, and yeah. you won't be able to connect to their streaming service or whatever. So it's a very strange uh, situation. You know, Sega's done a much better job of creating like physical copies of their glory days. Um, But like, if you want to buy a copy of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, there's like no way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you can't buy a download of it or anything. You just have to play it through their streaming. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's just like a weird moment. And I've given Nintendo a lot of trouble for their online offerings. Um, I thought they had set the low bar. Oh, no, no. Sony stepped in this last week. Have you seen their offering of classic games? No, I haven't yet. All right, well here's what I'm going to tell you, Cameron. I believe so on their new so they have the new online system and they said, "Okay, we're going to have tiers. The regular tier is fine. There's a there's a nice tier that has PS4 and PS5 games and that tier is actually really good. Right? You can play like Ghost of Tsushima yeah. Director's Cut, Returnal, which is, you know, Cameron's invitational game that that Cameron would love more than anything. But then their PS1 Classics is I think there's like six games, and they're bad. There are zero native PS2 games. There's a couple of things that got re-released on PS4 that were PS2 games. Ooh. And so, yeah, it's real rough. <laughs> it's real rough. You better really like Tekken um, 2. <laughs> I mean,
1: are I you mean, looking, looking at the at list now? List. It's
0: like, It's pretty pitiful. <laughs> I mean... If you were to name the top 50 PlayStation 1 games and the thing that they provide, like, it's really bad. And so uh, I I know some of it is music licensing, but, like, I'm sorry, dude. How are you going to – I'm not the first person to make this point, by the way. How are you going to say, hey, we're going to announce all the PlayStation Classics uh, and, like, but there are zero Ridge Racers. Zero Ridge Racers. Yeah. That is unforgivable. Like, what are you doing? There's no final thing. Like on and on and on. There's like all the things that you would typically associate with PlayStation. There is nothing. It's like siphon filter and Tekken 2. Yeah. And Mr. Driller. Like I'm just I'm shocked
1: by this. Like there's such I mean, like, there's like a legit catalog out there that you could whatever. Work on your rights. Come on, Sony.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. At least Nintendo had the good courtesy of putting their best games from their original <laughs> systems on the thing. Uh, all right, man. So if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk to you about the best games on PS One, where could they find you? It? <laughs> it's all on Twitter at
1: Cameron underscore McCoy,
0: and I'm at Curtis. Now our official show feed is at SpikeFeedMTG. We will check you guys next week.